How should you handle potential beast mode return? Is the Falcons' backfield timeshare about to get even more close and have the Bucks already settled on their number one runner? Plus, DraftSharks.com writer and award-winning podcast host Matt Schauf is going to join me tonight to talk about some early season draft sleepers, uh, the Broncos offense, and his thoughts on where Travis Kelsey should be going in FFPC drafts. We have a great show for you. I'm Eric Balkman. Matt Schauf is here. Stick around. Your Eric Balkman Show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. Live from the WRST radio studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. Rob, greetings and salutations, all you Balkaholics. I'm uh, Eric Balkman, of course, your slightly above average host. Welcome in to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. My co-host is normally the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak, but he is actually off this week, but sitting in the old virtual chair, the co-hosting virtual chair tonight is one of our Favorite co-host in HSFF Hour history. Of course, you read all the great stuff he uh, writes at DraftSharks.com. You follow him on Twitter at ShaufDS. You can follow DraftSharks on Twitter at DraftSharks. And, of course, host of the award-winning DraftSharks Fantasy Football Podcast. Joining me tonight, my co-host and my uh, co-owner for the uh, 2016 Scott Fishbowl, Matt Schauf. Welcome back, man. Thanks for having me back on, man. I'm, I'm in one of two cat bedrooms in my house right now, just hoping I'm not the worst smelling thing in here. Wait a minute. You have, you, your cats have bedrooms? Yeah, and I mean, not technically, but, you know, once their stuff is in there, it's basically taking up the room downstairs. Uh, it's it's kind of occupied. The, the less you go in there, the less you have to worry about picking up after let, them. Let- let this be a lesson to the kids out there. Once you become an FSD award-winning podcast <laughs> yeah. host, you get to live. You live high on the hog, and then you, your your house you get to have rooms added to your house as just bedrooms for your cats. So that is uh, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's I hey, listen. Before yeah, we, we go any further, editions this year. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you can afford to. Um, you, uh, you stepped up, uh, in the, uh, in the midnight hour here, we had technical difficulties with, uh, Patrick Daly, who was supposed to be on the show tonight, uh, that per- those, uh, that prevented him from being on the show, but thank you, Matt, uh, for, for joining on such short notice. We, we have a great show tonight. Uh, we, we're going to talk about the Washington ground game. We're going to talk about, uh, who, uh, your handcuffs should be for Le'Veon Bell. We have a ton more to chat about, uh, of course, uh, with Matt Schaub tonight here on the HSFF hour. And by the way, Thanks to everybody in the chat room. Shout out to you guys right now. Allegedly, I heard there is a basketball tournament going on, and I appreciate you guys uh, 
uh, while keeping the TV on mute and listening to us. We, uh, we appreciate that. Uh, feel free to post any questions you guys might have in the uh, chat room if you want to connect with us on Twitter. I am at Eric Balkman. The show is at HSFF Hour. Matt is at Shelf DS. You can post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash HSFF Hour. You can give us a call at 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA. And, of course, highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com is the FedEx inbox. Our producer and mutual friend, Rob, our audio engineer, Bryce, working extra hard tonight to get those questions to us uh, later on in the show. And uh, Matt and I will be happy uh, to answer them. Uh, up at the front of the show tonight, we had a big week at the FFPC, and I just want to, anybody who didn't notice the emails and, and, and checked out the blog or the site or the social media or whatever uh, that maybe have missed it, but... Uh, we are going to be at Planet Hollywood, back on the strip here in 2017 uh, for the FFPC Live event, September 7th through the 9th, 2017, Planet Hollywood Resort right on the strip in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. $1.7 million prize pool in the main event, a $250,000 grand prize. You can sign up for that at myffpc.com slash main event right now. 13 live times, six online times. There is a ton of opportunities for you guys to uh, jump into the main event this year. I wish you uh, the best uh, when you decide to do so. The 2017 Football Guys Players Championship, $250,000 grand prize, $2 million prize pool. That kicks off once again June 4th, 2017, June 4th. I believe that is a Sunday, so you can start drafting those teams for that uh, coming up uh, in, on June 4th. You can register for those right now at myffpc.com slash football, guys. And, of course, we do have satellites open, draft experts, super flex leagues, classics, DEs, slow, live, whatever your pleasure is, $35, $77, $250 levels. And, of, uh, of course, we are taking uh, signups for Dynasty Startups. We have a Dynasty Startup uh, kicking off on April 1st. So before the NFL draft, you can pick the rookies uh, for, some added, for an added challenge there, not knowing where they're going to be. Otherwise, the rest of the starters will be kicking off May 13th. So check that out at myffpc.com slash dynasty. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Matt Schauff uh, joining the show tonight. Very excited to have you on, man. And, uh, I mean, first things first. Draft Sharks already in 2017 mode. You guys have uh, you got rankings out there. I know uh, Jared Smola worked hard on those. Uh, certainly uh, bounced some ideas off you, Matt. And then, Matt, you did a lot of the uh, Dynasty rookie profiles as well uh, on the site. Uh, a lot, But there's a lot going on right now at DraftSharks.com. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Jared's rankings are up. I usually have my rankings together right now. Um, not able to do early... Um, draft only drafting here in New York because of legal stuff. Um, but very focused on the dynasty stuff right now. Uh, rookies have really been my focus for the past few weeks. Yeah. You, uh, you, you know, for anybody who follows you on Twitter, you had, uh, you had the great, um, you know, tweeting out your, um, uh, Deshaun, Deshaun uh, Kaiser, uh, profile and you had the, the great, uh, red hot chili peppers, uh, lyric, lyrical reference, <laughs> um, uh, give it away. Uh, keep it like the Kaiser from give it away. That was awesome. Matt is a good follow on Twitter. There's some stuff about uh, when, you know, what it's going to take for you to be on Justin Hunter this year. It's going to take some heroin trafficking in uh, Pittsburgh. That was awesome uh, as well. So plenty of stuff there, plenty of stuff on DraftSharks.com and that shows, uh Twitter as well. So check that out uh, right now because there is uh, a lot of great stuff to get the juices going here in March. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, what you would be doing in drafts right now, Matt. Uh, you know, if, um, if you were in a draft right now, and you had, uh, let's just say, an FFPC format, and you had a top three pick, is it just as simple as 
I'll just take Bell or Elliott or David Johnson. Is it just as simple as taking those guys, or is there a receiver that you would look at over any of those running backs? I would probably go David Johnson first, but I, I think I'd still lean Antonio Brown second. I mean, Le'Veon Bell has obviously been awesome whenever on the field, but he's been in the league for four years now. He started the first one with a Liz Frank sprain. He finished the second one with a hyperextended knee. He finished his third one early with two torn knee ligaments. And then he finished last year, even though it was in the playoffs, with the groin injury. So, I mean, at the top of round one, just a little bit too much injury question for me with him. To, I mean, I think he belongs in that range, but I think I would probably lean Antonio Brown ahead of him still. And Ezekiel Elliott um, – you know, I guess I would just like to see a little bit more receiving use. I certainly think it's quite possible he stays up in that range forever. Um, but right now, if I'm picking in March, I got to go the safer route and take Antonio Brown. You know, one of the guys that Dave always likes to rip on uh, on the show is Julio Jones because of the tantalizing, um, you know, physical attributes, the the tantalizing numbers that he puts up every single year. Um, but Dave doesn't like uh, the fact that Julio Jones seems to uh, not really put it together for his owners. When you look at his whole career in the playoffs, I mean, he had that one really good uh, week um, a couple of years ago. I think that was against the Packers. He put up just he just went boffle in the in the um, you know in the week fourteen to sixteen mm-hmm. sprint. Uh, that the FFPC has, but Dave always hates it because always, it always seems like Julio is hobbled for those last three weeks of the season. And even if he plays, he's more of a decoy or he's not involved or, or he's been easy to shut down. Where do you fall on Julio Jones as a, as a, as a first round pick this year? Is this a guy that you would look at getting on your team uh, or is he a guy like Dave that you're going to probably stay away from? No, I mean, I think he belongs in round one again, but that, I think that he's just a, another argument for Antonio Brown staying in the top three where you have Julio Jones up there, you have Odell Beckham up there. I think Des Bryant's in the round one um, you know, area. I think Mike Evans and A.J. Green are in there. But Antonio Brown's the one guy that you know belongs up there. Um, so for Julio, I mean, he had a good overall season last year, but extremely up and down week to week if you look at him. Um, you can make up for that if you're playing a draft experts format, um, but, you know, it does make him riskier. He does have durability issues. And I think we're all expecting some kind of uh, negative regression from the Falcons' offense in the coming year with, with Matt Ryan coming off his career best season and Kyle Shanahan gone. A guy who came off his career best season and it wasn't a very high bar to jump over was Trevor Simeon, mostly because he got a job last year, a, a starting job in the NFL, quarterbacking the Denver Broncos. Now, a lot of people, Matt, were concerned about the fantasy value of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders uh, with Trevor Simeon throwing the football to them rather than Peyton Manning. Um, We saw them hold their value pretty well. I think they both had, you know, top 15, top 20 seasons last year among receivers. So they weren't complete busts. They weren't fantastic either, but nobody was really drafting them last year to be fantastic. Now, Denver is, is still, you know, in the Tony Romo sweepstakes. However, that ends up, we don't know. And we probably won't know for several weeks yet, but if he is not, going to be the quarterback this year, you would think it's either going to be Simeon again or maybe the uh, first-round draft pick last year, Paxton Lynch. Now, what does that do depending – we know what Simeon will do for these guys because he, we, we saw what happened last year. What does it do for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders' 2017 seasons if it's Paxton Lynch that's named the opening week starter? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we can consider Paxton Lynch an upgrade over, over Trevor Simeon. We'll see how they both look when we get to summer. Um, but that said, I think that Thomas and Sanders are probably going to both be fine value-wise when you get into drafts. Demarius Thomas last year finished wide receiver 16 in PPR scoring on his worst statistical season among five years as a starter, scored five touchdowns. The year before that, he was wide receiver nine in PPR, scoring just six touchdowns. He's going 18th, I believe, among wideouts so far, um, third round or later. Um, so I'll gladly take Demarius Thomas in round three, round four. Emmanuel Sanders is going outside the top 24. The past three years, his three seasons with the Broncos, he finished 19th, 18th, and 5th among PPR wideouts. So, you know, again, I think that's a pretty good bet on him there. Um, I don't think the floor goes much lower than that unless he gets hurt. Um, and that's all that's with the Broncos in the bottom half of the league in pass frequency over the past two years. So if they increase their pass volume, you know, that only adds target upside to those guys. And I don't think there are very big challenges for targets in Denver right now, you know, along with Sanders and Thomas. You know, we always talk about the Blake Harrington Dynasty League on this show, a, a league that uh, both Dave and I, of course, Tupac, our longtime listener, is also uh, a member of. And uh, I, in that league, I acquired Emmanuel Sanders. It might have been in the startup. I mean, I feel like I've had him on this team for forever. And it seems like I've always been trying to get rid of him. I've, you know, any potential trade offers that I'm throwing out there, I, I'm always using him as, a, as not really a, a filler um, but, but a throw in type guy to, to sweeten the pot a little bit. But as I'm listening to you talk about Sanders, it almost seems like you know, I, he's definitely not quarterback proof, but with Simeon or Lynch, I mean, I, I might be better off holding on to Sanders, uh, because his perceived value doesn't seem like it's ever going to meet what his actual value has been. Right. That's the thing. We get to this time of year. Um, and, you know, yeah, you finish the season, you say, okay, well, Emmanuel Sanders is not going to be as good as he was last year. But that's what everybody else is thinking, too. So if everybody drops him down, then you look at his draft spot and you're like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm all right with Emmanuel Sanders. And, yeah, he's 30, but he still has two more seasons on his Denver contract, uh, another year beyond that if they play out the whole thing. So it's one of those like, all right, fine. If nobody else is going to take Emmanuel Sanders, then I'll, I'll take him right here and be my wide receiver three. Uh, I, you know, this, this next subject is, is near and dear to your heart. The Philadelphia Eagles, who I know you're a fan of. Of course, we're talking with Matt Shaw from DraftSharks.com, host of the uh, DraftSharks Fantasy Football Podcast. Matt, the Eagles made some significant changes in their offense this past uh, offseason. They signed Alshon Jeffrey to the one-year deal. They get Torrey Smith uh, out of free agency as well. What does this do for a guy like, uh, I mean, we talk about Jordan Matthews, but specifically Zach Ertz, a guy who, again, last two seasons gets off to slow starts but really ends up crushing it down the stretch, was huge in the FFPC League playoffs and in the championship round for both the main event and the Football Guys Players Championship. Uh, Ertz came on big uh, when, when fantasy owners needed him most. Now there's Torrey Smith. Now there's Alshon Jeffrey. What does this do for Zach Ertz? Because I know it can't help him. I, I mean, I, I think that it hurts his target ceiling. It lowers his target ceiling. But if the whole offense gets better, which it probably has to after last year, um, that should raise the quality of his targets. And at tight end, you don't really have to get the ball that much. Um, it, Zach Ertz finished fifth among tight ends and targets last year, despite missing two games, despite not hitting double-digit targets in a single game until week 11. 
Um, so as long as he's healthy in 2017, I think he'll be fine. He's going in the bottom half of the top 12 so far behind guys like Hunter Henry, Tyler Eifert. Um, I, I don't know yet if Zach Ertz has touchdown upside beyond what he's done so far, because that's the one thing that he, that he really hasn't delivered with any coach, with any quarterback so far. Um, but, you know, you like the receiving floor on him versus other guys at the position. And I, I think it's it's okay to take him in that range and see if he'll touchdowns this year. You know, Dave and I were talking about how the tight ends finished in PPR scoring last year, and he noted that Travis Kelsey, who finished as the number one tight end, his final, um, you know, total fantasy point output for 2017 would have put him – in sixth place, uh, sixth place finisher in mm-hmm. 2016. So I'm just curious, as, as, as we saw how the tight ends finished last year in 2017, it was kind of a down year for the tight ends. Do you think that mm-hmm. this was an outlier, or is this something that we can look to to maybe be the norm uh, going forward, or at least in 26, uh, 2017? I mean, I think you, prob- you should probably expect some bounce back in the numbers, but at the same time, like, Greg Olson's getting older. Rob Gronkowski, we don't know if he can stay healthy. Jordan Reed, we don't know if he can stay healthy. Antonio Gates is at least almost done, if not completely done. So uh, Jimmy Graham's getting older. So, you know, maybe those guys that have been setting that bar really high the past few years, perhaps we're looking at just like a little bit of regression overall at tight end for the next couple of years, or, you know, maybe – um, guys like Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey or a couple other guys who are, who are fighting for that top five, maybe they're the ones who raise the bar and the ones that you just take a chance on and see if they can put it all together this season. Getting back to the Eagles, Matt, uh, yeah, I know that, that you're, you're hopeful of, of the Jeffrey and the Smith additions making, um, you know, the, the tide raises all, all ships, as the, the old adage goes. So maybe the Eagles offense will be better on a whole. You have to be excited about that for an Eagles fan from a fantasy perspective. Uh, who, who's the guy you're going after here? I mean, is it Jeffrey uh, or is, he, is his, um, you know, the fact that everybody seems to be liking this fit with Carson Wentz playing in the NFC North, or excuse me, NFC East, where there hasn't been a lot of great defensive efforts uh, over the last few years. Um, is Jeffrey being overvalued? I mean, how do you, how do you, who gets you excited from a fantasy perspective in this Eagles offense right now? Um, I, I would say, honestly, nobody right now. If they're, I don't think, if they don't draft another guy to challenge in the backfield, to, to challenge to be the starting running back, then I guess Darren Sproles probably has the highest ceiling relative to where he's being drafted. Carson Wentz um, down toward the bottom of, of QB two territory. I think there's upside on him, but otherwise I think everybody's just kind of appropriately valued right now. There are guys that are fine at their spots, but nobody that I'm excited about. If they get any of the rookie running backs in the first two or three rounds, I think that guy um, whoever he might be is going to have a pretty high ceiling because it's a, it's a solid spot for that player. Matt, we can expand this next question in, to include Dynasty as well, but I know that you, you've already looked ahead um, to the 2017 season for both these rookies that are coming into the league and, you know, different veterans. Maybe they moved around or maybe guys who have stayed in the same place. Um, their value may, has, may have changed. Is there one guy or maybe a couple of guys right now that you're just having difficulty putting your finger on how he's going to do this season. You know, you can project uh, all you want for, for a lot of these guys, and, and you'll pretty much know how you feel about a guy, especially by the time draft time rolls around. 
But is there a guy right now that you look at his situation, you look at the coaching, uh, you look at the offense he's in, and, and you're just kind of like throwing up your hands saying, I, I, I honestly don't know what's in store for this guy this year. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's kind of situations more than specific players, like the Detroit backfield. I, I don't know, as I get ready to project everybody, I don't know how to break down the touches among everybody. And Amir Abdullah is, you know, the most obvious guy in there. I, I have no idea what to expect from him. I, I was optimistic heading into last season. Not as optimistic as uh, my boy, Jared Smola, but... I was optimistic, and then he got hurt in week two, and now we have no idea because there are a ton of guys in that backfield. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a total crapshoot. You're going to guess how many touches to project to everybody, rank them somewhere, and there's no way that they're going to finish in the same order that you project them. Ravens wide receivers are kind of the same way. I mean, Steve Smith's gone, the one guy that I felt like I could count on for targets. Kamar Aiken's gone. I mean, he's not – a high-end guy, but he was one of their top five in targets. So, you know, how do the targets get spread out? How many do, do Brashad Perriman get? Um, you know, how high is too high to project him? Is, is it time to be excited, or are too many people going to be excited? Um, th- those are a couple of the guys that are going to confound me over the next month or so, I think. Yeah, confound all of us, really, and I think these are going to be the, the situations that we're looking at, um, you know, when mini camps get here, OTAs, and, and then training camp to, to see what the coaches are saying, to see what these players are doing. Um, it's going to affect ADP. It's going to affect a lot of uh, what we're doing in our drafts as well. Uh, I hope the fact that we have to take a quick break will not affect you tuning out. We have much more with Matt Chow from DraftSharks.com. Coming up on the High Stakes Fantasy Footballer, this is Eric Falkman. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. My name is Eric Balkman. Dave Gruzek is off this week, but sitting in for him, we have DraftSharks.com writer and podcaster Matt Schauf talking, uh, well, really everything tonight. We've we've hit on some dynasty stuff, hit on some rookie stuff. We're going to hit on a lot more. Uh, Let's get into a philosophical question here, Matt, when we talk about, you know, it's not like, you know, you and I, and a lot of people, it wasn't a secret about zero RB. I mean, we knew about this for the last few years. And 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 some people have been using it for even longer than that. Um, you know, going with this strategy of pounding receivers early, trying to get running backs late, um, th- this was nothing new. But I feel like last year we saw really a, a massive influx of people using the zero RB strategy more than I'd ever seen before. Um, and, and I, I, I think it didn't work out for a lot of people last year. And I don't know if that's because so many people were using the strategy. It, it, it sort of thinned out the receiver pool and, uh, it made the running backs that more val- that much more valuable. If you hit on one early or if you hit on one late, it, it could prove to be a, a real league winner, but we look at 2017 and now we're talking about bell Elliott and David Johnson all going in the top half of the first round. When you look at how you think drafts are going to shake out, uh, this coming season, do you think this is the revenge of the running back year after zero RB didn't work out uh, for a lot of people last year? Do you see running backs getting pushed up more this season than last? Otherwise, I know a lot of the zero RB guys are excited for this season because they think so many people are going to go away from it. It is going to make it a massive league winning strategy again. Where do you fall in uh, on this line of, uh, of thinking? I mean, that, the last point that you mentioned is, I think, the key one. Any time that a lot of people are switching to one particular direction, I think the other direction is what you at least want to think about going in. 
Um, so, you know, if we end up seeing a whole bunch of running backs pushed up early, then go against that and, and get value at wide receiver and then grab this pool of running backs after that. Um, that said, I think it's, it's so far from the numbers that I've seen, it's just, at the, it's, it's just in round one. There are the three guys that you mentioned at the top of the round. There are six guys going in round one in general. You know, it's tough to get strong ADP numbers this early. Uh, but there are like six guys in round one. There are about 10 in the first two rounds, and then about 14 running backs in the first three rounds. So that's really not a huge number um, at the position. So if it continues like that, then I think uh, it's going to overblow the story that people are, you know, going back to running backs. And in that case, you know, just kind of continue the way that you have been going to be valuing running backs much more strongly than I did last year. I think I was probably valuing them a little bit more strongly last year than many people were because, you know, lots more people I think were switching to that zero RB theory. It's almost like you have to be fluid in, in how you approach drafts. I mean, you can love uh, receivers and, and just, you know, try to figure out running backs late, or you can, be you know the staunch old school uh, application of, of getting two stud running backs early and then filling in receivers after that but I feel like in order to be successful year to year you have to be able to to have to to be you know have a, a fungible approach to it you know be being able to tweak uh, how much you like each position or how much you're going to go after a position year to year no matter you know how philosophically how you fall or how you fall in on running back versus receiver. Right. Yeah, that's my thing, too, is you might get into a draft where there are seven people that you're drafting with who are going, you know, zero RB or ranking RBs lower, whatever you want to say. And then you might hit another one where there are five people who are going running backs early because they've been seeing drafters go the other way. So I think anytime you have to be able to adapt to the people you're drafting with, get value where it is. I'm not one to pigeonhole myself. Um, into one strategy I like to take the value as it's presented to me and I think that it tends to work out in the end you know whichever way I end up going heavy know your league know your competition and get your guys the three uh, pillars for fantasy success surely Uh, we talked about Travis Kelsey a little bit earlier Matt I want to bring the conversation back to him because uh, he was the number one tight end in fantasy last year and he is going off the board Right now in FFPC satellite drafts uh, with an ADP of 212, the second tight end off the board, of course, behind Rob Gronkowski. Is that about, you know, in a tight end premium format, is that about where you're looking at Kelsey? If you have the number one overall pick or number two overall pick that you would come back and take Kelsey uh, right away at the end of the second round and, and then, you know, look for a backer or receiver in the third. Is that, I mean, is that accurate as far as where you think Kelsey's value should be right now? I mean, I think I think that's a fair spot, and I think that if you're in a, a format where you're going to be setting your lineup every week, he certainly makes sense there. If it's a, a draft experts format, I would pass on him at that point, wait for another round or two, you know, get somebody like Jimmy Graham who has a lot more touchdown upside um, and piece together two or three, three or four, you know, depending on your strategy um, at that position, and I think that you'll get better value that way. I, I don't think – I think Travis Kelsey is going to be good for a while. I mean, as long as he's healthy, I think he should be top five. I just don't think he has as high a touchdown ceiling as the other guys at the top of that position. And I think that hurts him, you know, in terms of week-to-week value. 
Are you more of the uh, thinking that in a in a twenty eight round FFPC DE format, you're better off not taking a stud tight end in the first few rounds and sort of you know building up two or three maybe top fifteen guys, top twenty guys uh, in that format where you don't have to worry about picking one each week? Is is that sort of where you're? I mean, because you were in pros versus Joe's. I mean, you kind of know um, what you were thinking going in. Is that going to be your strategy again this year? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how early they really start getting hit. I, I usually I try to put the guys in tiers and, um, you know, not making people cry, but putting similar tight ends together, um, see how quickly my top guys are going. And, and, you know, the later you get, the better you can know ADP. And, you know, Jimmy Graham, I think, is a good example of somebody who has upside probably in top two or three in the position at this year. If he's sitting sixth or seventh in ADP, then I can say, all right, there are only three guys gone. I know I can wait another turn. He's probably still going to be there. Um, so I guess planning like that, not targeting one specific guy, but getting two, three, four, and watching that range and seeing where it's going. Um, I'm not the one probably getting the top guy unless Rob Gronkowski slips into somewhere in round two. Um, beyond that, you know, just watching the tears. I think that uh, most high stakes players, at least the ones I've talked to would agree with you that one of the most difficult things, especially for um, people who have not played uh, the FFPC format with the point and a half uh, points per catch for tight ends with the dual flex. uh, One of the things that they struggle with is, is sort of gauging those tight ends, seeing when they're going and and then reacting properly Mm -hmm. to them, you know, not just completely ignoring the position and then, you know, getting stuck mm-hmm. with, you know, Josh Hill as your number one tight end or something like that. And then not going crazy on it either and overreacting and then, right. you know, uh, utilizing these all these early round picks on tight ends just to make sure you get two or three. I think that once you sort of I, – I, I don't know if anybody's ever really mastered it, but once you have the experience of knowing what to do and knowing the proper way to react on those tight ends, you're going to be, a, 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 you know, a step ahead of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm sure there are listeners who have done a lot more – FFPC style drafts than I have, but I've, I've seen it both ways, even in the, the drafts I've done where I'll take one early thinking, Oh, I got to get one. And then I see other guys waiting longer than I expected them to. And I think, Oh, I could have gotten much better value in two or three rounds. And, you know, another time I'll say, okay, I'm going to wait this time. And I wait too long and I end up not getting on the train early enough. So, you know, it's really about setting the levels. If you, if you say I'm not going to take somebody till round six, I think you're in trouble. But if you say I want one of these five or six guys or, you know, whatever you set your strategy to make sense, but be adaptable at the same time. Yeah, I think that is definitely the proper apo- approach to uh, to tight ends. Matt Schaub from DraftSharks.com is our co-host tonight sitting in for Dave Gerzak. He writes for DraftSharks.com, hosts the DraftSharks.com Fantasy Football Podcast. Matt, I have been so selfish tonight asking you all these questions. I want to dip uh, dip into the uh, email bag a little early here and ask you a couple of questions um, from uh, from some of our uh, listeners uh, that wanted to, uh, to get an answer to their questions tonight. First one's from Brent. In Dayton, Ohio, he writes, hey, how do you see all oh, this is actually one that you kind of touched on earlier of not really knowing how it's going to go. But he writes, uh, hey, how do you see the backfield touches being split between Abdullah, Riddick, Zenner and Washington this season? Thank you for the email, Brent. And Matt, you know, I know that you you're, you're not really sure how it's going to go. So let's just shift this question. 
uh, for fantasy purposes, if people are drafting in March right now, which they are at the FFPC, is this a situation that you're just you would just be avoiding and, and just finding somebody else uh, because you just you simply don't have enough information at this point and don't want to utilize these uh, these you know early to mid round picks on these question marks or is this the time to to take a stab at you know Zach Center late or uh, you know Amir Abdullah if he slips? So how would you be approaching this right now in drafts? I think right now it would be it would depend on um, if I'm looking for running back or wide receiver at that point because um, a lot of the draft experts style drafts especially you know it can vary a lot. I'll go running back heavy early, so if I get to the point where Abdullah and Riddick are going. I might have four guys already. I might have two receivers. I'm looking for those guys. In that case, I'll be happy to skip over the backfield. Um, at the same time, Abdullah and Riddick are both going outside of RB2 territory right now. I think they're both fine picks right there because I think both of those guys especially can deliver. Um, you know, of course, Zach Zenner could factor into that just as well as Abdullah is. So it, it, I'm not hands-off on it. I'm not chasing after it. It's one of those where – if Abdul is the next guy on my board or Riddick's the next guy on my board, I'll say, all right, I'll take him. He's up. Um, I, can't, I can't get excited at this point. I'm, I'm very interested in this backfield to see the summer updates. And I feel like if you look at Abdullah and Riddick, as we look at this Detroit backfield right now to try to help Brent out here, I feel like those guys aren't really competing with each other for snaps. Like I, I feel like mm-hmm. they, they both have, if they're healthy, they both have fairly clearly defined roles in this offense. Um, I, I just don't like it when the coaching staff is saying positive things about Zach Zenner and Dwayne Washington and all these other guys. Yeah. It's like, don't say anything positive about him because that's just muddying everything up. You know, say, well, you know, we, we got a lot of guys here and just mention Riddick and Abdullah. Don't mention anybody else's names and we'll kind of know where the coaching staff is on that uh, because if they're, if they're taking the time to mention the top two and ignoring the other guys, well, you kind of know how they feel their backfield is setting up. Right, and it's tough for me to say exactly how I would treat them without facing that decision in the draft, but the thing that really bugs me about Abdullah is I don't know exactly where he's getting his fantasy value from because Theo Riddick's the top pass catcher there. Amir Abdullah is not a goal line guy, so is he going to top 200 carries? I don't know. Can he get 30-plus catches? I don't know. I don't think he's going to push for double-digit touchdowns, so... You know, he's just kind of in no man's land there in terms of fantasy value. So I see he's, he's going in the same range as like Gio Bernard, Paul Perkins. At the moment, I like each of those guys better than Amir Abdullah just because it's easier for me to map out um, right now where their fantasy value comes from. Of course, knowing that once the NFL draft happens, things might be very different in both of those backfields. Yeah, definitely. That's always the uh, added uh, um, flavor of drafting early before the NFL draft. You could stumble on some fantastic values uh, depending upon what these teams do. Uh, Eddie in Smyrna, Georgia writes, our fantasy owners are undervaluing Rex Burkhead right now. I seem to be able to get him consistently in the 10th round in the FFPC satellites right now. Thanks, man. That is Eddie in Smyrna, Georgia. Now, I looked at this, and Rex Burkhead – the thing is, like, because, um, you know, he was unsigned for so long, his ADP is actually not in- entirely all that accurate, uh, in my opinion. I mean, he's going, uh, let's see, I just had it up here. I apologize. Uh, Rex Burkhead has an ADP of 
16th round. Well, he's clearly not going in the 16th round anymore. In fact, he just recently went uh, in, the, uh, in the early 8th round of one of the FFPC satellites, and this guy says he's getting him in the 10th. That could be, that's probably more accurate than 16th. But, Matt, as we look at Burkhead, mm-hmm. you know, there's no LeGarrette Blunt back there yet. I mean, there's James White, there's Deion Lewis there, and, and there's Rex Burkhead, who seems, for all intents and purposes, has really looks like he's carved out a significant role in that New England offensive juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they didn't wait that long to sign him, and he certainly goes to a better situation in that he should get the ball, judging by how quickly the Patriots signed him. So it's funny that that was the next name that came up. I was just looking at him in the ADP list versus the Lions guys. I would take Rex Burkett over Amir Abdullah just because, again, it's easier for me to see the value going his way now. That's another backfield where they could add somebody in the draft they might bring back with Garrett Blunt. I don't know about that yet. But if I'm drafting at this point, I, I, I would have to bet on Rex Burkhead leading that backfield in touches. Yeah, people don't realize this too, but Garrett Blunt actually had 67 touchdowns in weeks one to eight uh, last year alone. It was just, it was crazy uh, the season that Garrett <laughs> Blunt had. Um, so Rex Burkhead could be the beneficiary of some more touchdowns uh, in uh, in that offense this year. We'll have to see. I, I'm starting to really like him quite a bit. Uh, Matt, uh, give us a guy right now. Um, you know, obviously a lot can change. We're still however many months out, you know, from, um, from uh, the start of the NFL season, like five and a half months or whatever it is. Um, but give us a guy that you think is uh, a sleeper right now, flying under a lot of people's radars. And then give us a guy that uh, you think is, is somebody to avoid in the first few rounds, somebody that has uh, a pretty high uh, potential of busting tight ends for the FFPC format, Gary Barnage, Jason Witten, Vance McDonald, all going at least near or outside the bottom of tight end two territory. Um, You know, it's easy to not like Vance McDonald's situation right now because we don't know exactly who his starting quarterback is going to be, but he's playing under Kyle Shanahan. He's the best tight end on the Niners roster. He might be the best receiver on the Niners roster this season. So I think he's a high upside guy relative to where you can draft him. Jason Witten, every fantasy drafter hates in March and April. <laughs> Nobody wants to draft him at this point. There's no way he's going to finish lower than 15. So if he's getting drafted below 15 in any you know reception-friendly format, then he's good value. And Gary Barnage, uh, you know, everybody hates Gary Barnage right now because he doesn't have a quarterback because he plays for Cleveland. Why not draft him somewhere in tight end two territory uh, in case he – gets back to being the number two or number three target, even on a bad offense. Yeah. All guys that you mentioned there too. Uh, these guys aren't going as, as number one tight ends in, in the FFPC right now. So especially in the DE format, you get all those guys, uh, you know, as a high end tight end too. Uh, you know, a top 15 guy for sure. Uh, I, I think that that's, you know, not a bad way to spend an early to mid round pick to, to get that second tight end locked up. What about a guy that, uh, that you won't be touching this year? Melvin Gordon. You know, we talked about running backs getting pushed up the board. I'm fine with the three guys that are at the top of the board, but there is absolutely no way that I'm drafting Melvin Gordon ahead of Des Bryant um, late in round one. Uh, Gordon, you know, had an excellent season last year, a way better season than I thought he would have. Um, I was hands-off on him at this point last year because of the knee stuff. He proved that the knee stuff wasn't an issue. At the same time, he still finished the season with an injury. He was an inefficient runner throughout the season. You look at Football Outsiders' numbers 
um, their efficiency metrics. His efficiency running the ball did not even come close to matching up with his fantasy production. He got fortunate on touchdowns, and I think he's in a good situation for touchdowns, and he could be in a good situation for receptions if they don't add anybody else to the backfield. But I think that they should. I think that more targets will go to the wideouts with Keenan Allen back. I think there's durability risk, and I think, you know, if there's any loss scoring Melvin Gordon falls out of that range, he's just too big a risk late in round one for me. Where's the, I mean, who's the running back that is going to benefit if Melvin Gordon does regress? I mean, obviously you mentioned the touchdowns. Who's the, who's the running back that will end up, because Woodhead's gone, who's the guy that benefits uh, from maybe Melvin Gordon having a down season? Or is it just the passing offense where a lot of that production is going to go to with uh, a healthy Keenan Allen? I, I would guess that they draft somebody at some point. Um but, I mean, right now it's Brandon Oliver. It's just a matter of you combine Melvin Gordon's durability risk um, just with where you have to draft him. It's not that I hate Melvin Gordon, but I hate drafting him in round one when I can take a wide receiver there and wait, uh, and wait until after the turn, take Jay Ajayi or Jordan Howard or, um, you know, even a little bit later than that, Carlos Hyde. So I don't, it's not that I like somebody else in the San Diego backfield that much. Uh, just not ready to to bet on him in that range. Man, when is the uh, next uh, no holds bar knock down drag out rankings fight uh, with the Draft Sharks team uh, in in New York, where you guys you know huddle up, get everything all set for the 2017 season? When is that taking place, and uh, when will the official Draft Sharks uh, rankings uh, be released uh, for the 2017 season? Well, we usually have the projections party late in May, maybe early June, um, where we you know finalize everything. It's funny though, as we go along, Jared and I do our projections separately, and you know we always like I'll finish a team and I'll be like, oh, I love this guy way more than you're going to, and I'll post his projection, and then Jared will say, actually, I like him more than you expected, or you're way off. Here's the guy I like. We so we spar back and forth with that stuff um, all the way there. Um, but we, we have a projections party late May, early June, and then, you know, right in that early June period is when our official projections hit the site. And what do you, I'm just curious, what do you guys do uh, for, for the NFL draft? I mean, do, do all the Draft Sharks guys get together and watch it, or how, how, does, uh, how does that shake out every year? Yeah, we actually have um, an annual at this point for at least the past three years or so, um, like a company retreat kind of thing. We'll go, um, like, get a house somewhere it's been in skinny atlas new york the past couple of years um and we'll watch a draft that night do our stuff on the site you know we do shark bites through the whole thing do um i did a, a live blog the past two years um you know crack jokes throughout the whole thing um and then spend a couple of days just doing that um working on projections and also just you know talking like mapping out the year ahead that's all great stuff, Matt. Uh, very exciting, and uh, I know I can't wait for the NFL draft uh, for sure. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll have more with Matt Schaub. We're going to talk about the news and notes around the NFL here in this late March portion of the season. NFL draft right around the corner. So are we. HSFF Hour here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network rolls on after this. March Madness, it is not just for college basketball anymore. It is also for the NFL. As I mean, you look at uh, the draft season coming up, free agency is sort of winding down, but we are in the midst 
of NFL teams shaping their rosters for the championship season. We are shaping the rest of this show uh, to be a dynamite one for you. I'm Eric Balkman here on the HSFF Hour. Matt Schaub from DraftSharks.com filling in for the Dizzle this week. Uh, Matt, we uh, we talked a lot about um, you know sort of drafting philosophies. We talked a lot about players we like, players we don't like uh, early in the show. Let's get into um, some of the you know they're not massive notes around the NFL. I mean, there's a few things <laughs> that I think caught my eye uh, when when we look at the notes. I do want to thank Draft Sharks Football Guys, Roto World, and Rob for tonight's rundown. Let's get to it right now and uh, just kind of break these down: what they mean for fantasy, what they mean if you're drafting right now. Uh, first off, Marshawn Lynch, uh, in a radio interview on Tuesday, his agent said that, uh, the running back does miss football. He said that, uh, he has not talked to Marshawn about his apparent comeback plans, uh, because he's been away in Canada. He's supposed to, he was supposed to see him this week. I don't know if that ever happens, but he says, uh, Lynch uh, loves the game of football. He's 30 years old. He doesn't know what his mindset is right now. And obviously we know Marshawn Lynch is a bit whimsical when it comes to making decisions and, uh, you know, living his life. You look at um, the other the other weird things that have come out this week. You know, Marshawn Lynch posted, it was on Spotify or on some social media account. He had a playlist with a, like a playlist called Oakland Raiders, or there is a track called Oakland Raiders in his playlist. Friends say that he's been wearing nothing but Oakland Raiders gear around them lately. So clearly uh, he's intrigued, but Matt, let's look at it from the, the cold, hard fantasy perspective. Do you think he comes back uh, and, and plays with the Raiders this year or anywhere really? And if you were drafting right now, where would you be taking him if at all? I'm waiting for a video from August where they show the Raiders running back room and he's just sitting in the back and everybody's surprised to see him. And he says, yeah, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> um, I'm not drafting him until he officially signs with somebody. I, at, at this point in the season, at this point in the year, uh, I'm not reacting to those rumors. I'll, I'll wait until he's with the team because there are plenty of other guys that uh, will do just fine. Yeah, there's going to be other guys in drafts uh, playing the, a young man's position, by the way, in running back that will have been drafted. Uh, by a team will have already had a role that will have much less tread uh, or much more tread on their tires, uh, a lot more um, youth on their side than Marshawn Lynch. So certainly there is upside there, but there might be, there might be more upside with a younger guy. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. If those rumors persist, you know, maybe he makes Deandre Washington and Jalen Richard um, values at this point. If those guys are slipping down draft boards, those are guys that I'll take because even if Lynch signs with them, there are going to be touches spread around. It's not like he's going to come back and touch the ball 370 times. That's a great point as well. You know, it's sometimes we, we have delusions of grandeur when we, uh, we score on Marshawn Lynch in the 18th round and if he comes back and that could pay off, but may not pay off to the, uh, the level that uh, you would expect. If you would have asked me, Matt, if I would be on a fantasy football podcast in 2017, talking about Tim Hightower, I would have told you you were <laughs> nuts, but here we are 2017 Tim Hightower visited the Washington Redskins on Wednesday, according to ESPN.com. Shockingly, I thought he was in his 50s. He actually doesn't turn 31 until May. Did not play in 2012, 2013, 2014 after he tore his ACL with Washington. Had some complications with that injury afterwards. Uh, Rob Kelly came on strong after Matt Jones uh, really did not bring anything to the table uh, in that offense the last couple of years. Uh, Rob Kelly actually showed quite a bit. And Tim Hightower was great 
uh, down the stretch in the 2016 season for anybody that had him going uh, when he was a member of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I, but, you know, bringing this discussion back to, to Washington, really, is, I mean, is Hightower like a real thing for them here? And is Rob Kelly going to be their guy going into the 2017 season? Or are we just not talking enough about the possibility of Washington maybe taking a running back in the first or second round and riding that guy as the starter in, uh, you know, starting in week one? Uh, first of all, I'm old enough that the name Hightower always makes me think of Police Academy first. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. It, <laughs> now, as for the running back, the ageless wonder running back, if he actually signs in Washington, you know, I think he's in the competition for touches there because I don't think it's that good a backfield. Uh, If they don't draft a running back within the first three rounds or at least round four, because, you know, sometimes we can see valuable guys in that range or round five, like Jordan Howard last year. If they don't draft a guy who can compete for touches this year, I'll probably be chuckling as we're, as we're watching the draft and probably making jokes somewhere in print. Um, because they need somebody. I mean, uh, Rob Kelly was impressive versus what we expected heading into last season. That's because none of us expected anything. He was he was fine, but I think I, I don't know. It, it feels like some of his success has been overplayed. He he's not being overdrafted at this point because I think it seems like the draft public feels the same way I do. He's going outside of range from what I've seen so far. Um, so if they don't add a significant uh, challenge to him, I think Rob Kelly is the top guy. Whoever is the starting running back for Washington next year, I mean, they finished 12th and 10th in scoring the past two years, so it's a good situation. Yeah, Fat Rob Kelly, who knew that uh, he would be the guy that we would be talking about here? Guy, um, he's it, not fat. you got to be fatter than that if you're going to carry that next No, I'm, so I'm not even calling him a fat guy. <laughs> no, listen, listen. I, I, will, I have defended Eddie, Hace, Eddie Lacey to the hilt on this show. This is not my call. He, I think he oh, likes going by Fat Rob, or somebody like gave him that nickname, or maybe he said, "Oh yeah, I'm uh-huh. Fat Rob." But somehow, like this is a thing, <laughs> yeah. and I've never really, I never really thought of him as Fat Rob Kelly until people were calling him Fat Rob, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, well, I right. guess he's Fat Rob." But yeah, there are definitely <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he, more rotund running backs he, than he, him in the NFL. Yeah, he wears it, he wears it like a badge. So I, I, I know it's him, but it, it offends me that he wears it like he does as a former fat guy myself. that's it's it's like uh larry david on curb your enthusiasm where he's offended by um you know uh you know guys (laughs) shaving their head when when he's like actually you know he doesn't have a choice in the matter and he has to be bald uh anyway uh let's get let's get on to another situation that you said was a little fuzzy for you right now and it's fuzzy for everyone but in a wednesday conference call uh kamar aiken the new indianapolis colt said uh, that uh, new GM Chris Ballard told him that he will have a chance to win the number three receiver job, uh, catching passes from Andrew Luck. This is from Zach Kiefer on Twitter. Chris Ballard has no ties to Philip Dorsett. He did not take him in the first round two years ago. Does not care, or he probably doesn't care, if he is the number three, the number four, the number five, or whatever wideout on the team. Uh, but Chris Ballard did sign Kamar Aiken this week. And Aiken said he was told that there was going to be an open competition uh, in the receiving room. So, and, and remember, this is a guy that uh, crushed it for Baltimore in 2015 and then sort of was phased out in 2016 with uh, Steve Smith and, and Mike Wallace really coming on, even Brashad Perriman to a certain extent. Um, but uh, Aiken did not have that same role in 2016 Baltimore uh, like he did for the Ravens in 2015. You look at uh, Aiken v. Dorsett. Who do you like here, uh, Matt Schauf? Do you like uh, Aiken? Do you like Dorsett? 
Or for fantasy purposes, does it not matter? Are you just staying away from this situation unless you, you know, own Moncrief or if you own Hilton and you're just looking for some sort of handcuff insurance later on in the draft? Yeah, I mean, the thing is they're both going very late, so I don't think that you need to be um, hands-off because you're, you're taking a lottery ticket in either case. I'll take Aiken first because I think he's a little bit more different than what they already have. T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief have plenty of speed between them, so they don't they don't need a guy that can burn it. Um, you know, we'll see what they, they feel like they need, but they're also a little thinner at tight end now than they have been the past few years. So maybe there are a few more targets available for um, a slot type of guy like Kamar Aiken. Um, at the same time, if I'm, if I'm a high volume draft experts format player um, this time of year, I'm probably spreading it a little bit between both of them. Cause it's a good situation Philip Dorsett's the big play guy. He should, uh, the, the big play potential guy because of the speed, he should have more yards per catch. Um, maybe that turns into a, a couple extra touchdowns um, luck-wise, but I, I would lean Aiken, not excited about either of them. Speaking uh, of those Baltimore Ravens, Dennis Pittett took a $2.5 million pay cut over the next two seasons. He's going to make $2.5 million this year in base salary. A half million roster bonus is also coming his way. He was scheduled to earn uh, $5.5 million. It frees up uh, $2.5 million over the next two seasons for Baltimore. Uh, remember, Dennis Pittett last year, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere because we kind of knew who he was, but I don't think anybody uh, saw an 80-plus catch season from him last year. You look at uh, the FFPC, a tight end premium format that really rewards tight ends who catch a ton of passes. How does he finish among the tight ends in the FFPC in 2017, Matt? Well, we'll see if we hear good stuff about Max Williams this offseason um, there hasn't been a whole lot going on with him to this point, but he looked good in college. It, it's still a great situation for a tight end to be in because they started out with a weak wide receiver core, and then they lost Steve Smith, and then they let Kamar Aiken walk. So there should be plenty of targets available. The last time before last year that Dennis Pitta was healthy was 2012. He finished third on the team and tied for ninth in the league among tight ends and targets that year with 94. So if we head into the season with Dennis Pitta still, Dennis Pitta still looking like the number one tight end for Baltimore and still going well into tight end two range, uh, there's no reason not to take a shot on him. At worst, you, you know, take the 19th tight end off the board and he doesn't pan out. Um, and at best, you get somebody that's top 10 at the position and targets. Matt Chow from DraftSharks.com, the writer and podcaster there, the award-winning uh, podcaster from uh, DraftSharks.com, joining the show this week. Uh, Matt, Ronald Leary, Menelik Watson, singled out by head coach Vance Joseph at uh, Denver Broncos, uh, new head coach Vance Joseph, at a press conference this week, uh, said that they were try- that they signed those guys to change the culture of the offensive line. Uh, the quote from Vance Joseph, running the ball on our terms, heavy box or light box, let's run the football. That is the attitude that you want. So this speaks good things for C.J. Anderson if he can stay healthy this year. Uh, maybe he is a guy that could potentially outperform his draft slot. Is Anderson the guy to own in Denver this year for fantasy purposes? Um, is Devontae Booker the sharky guy to, to add later uh, on in the draft? Are they done mm-hmm. adding pieces uh, to, to this uh, offensive backfield uh, Matt, because it, maybe the, the starting running back isn't on this team yet. Maybe the guy uh, that is going to be finishing first among Denver running backs 
uh, is sitting in the NFL draft right now. C.J. Anderson having an ADP of the 410 right now in FFPC drafts. What do you think uh, of this Broncos ground game as we uh, we look forward to the start of the season? I think C.J. Anderson's the starting running back there. I think if they draft somebody, you know, we'll see what they do because you can't really predict. But um, I think if they draft somebody in, say, round four, um, you know, folks might start saying, whoa, they don't like C.J. Anderson. I think that'll be more of a knock on Devontae Booker, who I liked heading into last season, but he sucked. I mean, you know, C.J. Anderson (laughs) had the great start to the year. And then after a little while, it was like, oh, maybe Booker's better than Anderson. And then he got his opportunity, and he was terrible. And I think the way that he played and the fact that they felt like it was a good idea to bring in Justin Forsett kind of speaks toward how C.J. Anderson was probably a little bit better than he looked early in the season because it was not a good situation for a running back. I wish yeah, Anderson was going not. a little bit later in drafts, though. Yeah, I do too. I mean, that's that's another guy last year that I said that was was simply just going too late uh, in in uh, in uh, FFPC drafts last year, and and in you know the Kentucky drafts that we were in, I was getting him in a bunch of spots, and and then after you know week one, he just crushed it. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be a great year. I got Anderson in all these spots, <laughs> and it didn't really work out that way. And I had Booker in a lot of spots too, and uh, I had a Jai. Um, you know, just as, you know, sort of uh, let's see what happens with Arian Foster. And then when both Anderson and um, and uh, Foster went down, I, I thought I, I had some pretty dominant teams with Booker and Ajayi, and it didn't work out that way, unfortunately, as it has uh, been known to happen with my fantasy teams. Let's uh, we got <laughs> I, I, we got to get to a break, but I want to get to one last piece uh, of information here. Uh, with the Tampa Bay ground game, Dirk Ketter, the uh, the head coach down there, said it's very hard to feature two running backs in an offense. Uh, the OC there, Todd Monken, said he's looking forward to having Doug Martin back um, because uh, he says that he's a guy that adds explosion to that backfield uh, that they didn't have last year with all the injuries. Uh, Monken made a point of saying they had six different guys carry the ball last year. Doug Martin, remember, if uh, he is brought back, which sounds like he's going to be, he will not be playing for the first three games because of a suspension. They'll be using Jacquez Rogers, Charles Sims, and maybe somebody else in an RBBC while Martin is out with the suspension. Is Martin being underdrafted right now, Matt? I mean, is he a guy that could be a sneaky top 20 guy? I'm just looking at uh, his ADP right now uh, of where he's going. And I know with the suspension, it's got to be affecting it. Uh, he has an ADP right now of uh, the eleven six, which is crazy to me that he's going that late. Um, I, I, you know, I know he is going earlier in some drafts. He has gone as early as the fifth round. But your thoughts on where Doug Martin should be drafted here in March? Yeah, I mean, I think he belongs in the later single digit round territory at least. Um, I, I think he's being underdrafted at this point. I certainly think, as long as there's no relapse or whatever, I, I don't know. I, it's tough to know his exact drug situation, but I can't say that I'm all that worried. As long as it, it seems that things are continuing to move in the right direction, he's he's only 28, which is kind of old at running back, but it's still prime time. Um, I, I'm willing to bet on him at this point at the price it costs to bet on him. Yeah, and, and it's always good when you're hearing positive things coming from the coaching staff and from the front office, the organization there, which is it sounds like mm-hmm. they're, they're very excited to get Doug Martin back. Uh, so you should feel 
Warm and fuzzy if you can get him at a discount right now as well. Final break of the show coming up. Uh, we have much more with Matt Schauff. He's going to answer your emails when we come back. DraftSharks.com writer and podcaster co-hosting with me tonight, sitting in for Dave Gerzak. I'm Eric Balkman. This is the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Emails, tweets, and more here on the HSFF Hour. Eric Balkman along with DraftSharks.com's Matt Schauff, the writer and podcaster extraordinaire. Coming up, what is this? How many times have you co-hosted with me now, Matt? Is this number three? I think so. It's, although it yeah, feels it, like much more. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, we had a lot of conversations <laughs> when we were um, when we were co-owning that um, Scott Fishbowl team last year, which I thought I was really happy. How I mean, we ended up losing. Uh, in the division championship, I think. And if we would have went on, we would have, I think we would have ended up playing for it all. I don't think we would have won it, but you had a lot of great picks last year. Uh, the golden Tate pick was really good. The Michael Thomas one was obviously massive. Uh, you had a lot of great, great drafting decisions. So I can say, you know, this is not just me talking about uh, how great my guest is. Matt knows this stuff and uh, you need to subscribe to draftsharks.com. Follow him on Twitter at ShoutDS as well. Uh, let's get to some emails here, uh, Matt, if I can get them from Rob. Thank you very much. Okay, first one tonight from Brian in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You guys talked about this on the show briefly last week, but can the New England passing offense support Gronk, Edelman, and Cooks? Thank you for the email, Brian. It's going to be a tall order for all three of those guys to return value at where they're being drafted right now. Who's the odd man out for you, Matt? I mean, I don't think there has to be one. So we were talking about the backfield earlier. You know, they've leaned a bit more run lately, but I think that's just how they've been built. Um, If you look at 2015, they leaned past more than they did in any of the other surrounding seasons. So I think picking up Brandon Cooks might just be a signal that they're going to lean in the other direction this year. I think that's a team you can count on to do whatever's smart for them to do. Um, And at this point, it doesn't seem like – any of those guys are really going in outlandish spots. Uh, Brandon Cooks might be going a little bit early um, for me value-wise, but I'm not ready to call any of them a bad pick where they're going. Yeah, I'm just looking right now here. Gronk, uh, ADP of the 202. Uh, Brandon Cooks, again, this was, you know, a lot of these drafts took place while he was still in New Orleans Saint, the 301. And Julian Edelman down at the 407. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they do end up, you know, obviously I think Cook slips a little bit. So maybe they, they I mean, the, the thing is, if they all return value, you know Brady's going to be a good pick this year with, uh, with mm-hmm. all three of those guys having good seasons for sure. Let me ask you something as a follow-up to that, Matt. We, we talked about the chicken or the egg theory uh, with Brady throwing deep on this show. And I was saying, you know, well, Brady just doesn't throw deep anymore. Um, and, or excuse me, uh, I said Brady hasn't thrown deep since uh since he had um you know randy moss and and uh dave was mm-hmm. of, of the opinion well like look it maybe he hasn't thrown he doesn't throw deep anymore because he hasn't had a threat like randy moss well now he has that threat in brandon cook so mm-hmm. I, I think maybe the answer here is bill belichick saying like yes he can throw deep he will throw deep that's why we gave up a first round pick to get cooks right they traded a first round pick for cooks they traded with the colts to get Dwayne allen um, and they all they have in the backfield so far is Rex Burkhead and a bunch of guys who catch passes. Uh, Rex Burkhead is another guy who catches passes. They might right, lead yeah. the league in pass attempts this year. I think I, I think that's a realistic possibility. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's within the the realm of you know potential um, happenings. 
Yeah, they, 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 once again, New England going to be a fascinating fantasy situation for the umpteenth year in a row uh, to watch. Uh, Dear Starsky and Hutch, is this the year that we see Freeman and Coleman split the load 50-50? Much love. That's Jace in Pomona, California. Um, okay, real quick about this. I believe Atlanta has not extended Devontae Freeman. I think this is his last year on that contract. Mm-hmm. So it would be, it would really, and this is how I'm looking at it from a GM and, and a coaching standpoint. It would behoove them to get everything they possibly can out of Freeman, let him go to the free agency market, see what he can get, and then really, you know, have Tevin Coleman be your guy next year. I don't, I don't really see how it behooves them to have um, a 50 50 split this year. Uh, your thoughts on, on the running backs in Atlanta? I agree. And, you know, on top of that, Devontae Freeman's delivered for them when he's gotten the ball um, the, the past couple of years. So it, it's fine to stick with him as the slight lead. You know, I think we're looking at more like 65, 35, 60, 40. Um, we'll see when I get into my numbers, but I, I would not bet on them being totally 50, 50 this season, as long as both guys are healthy, assuming both guys are healthy. Uh, Next email here from Roy in El Paso, Texas. He writes, uh, I own Le'Veon Bell in two of my dynasty leagues, but unsure on who to cuff him with in the rookie draft, Niall Davis or Fitzgerald Toussaint. That is Roy in El Paso, Texas. I don't know if this is, I mean, I guess I wouldn't go crazy in in my rookie draft Mm -hmm. cuffing um, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, if, if you're in like a 12 team league with like, well, like Blake Harrington, 12 teams, it's a four round rookie draft. I, I guess in the third round is probably where I would look at taking a cuff. I mean, in the first two rounds, I'm looking for talent, but not neither one of these guys excites me. I mean, you could probably get them. Who else is going to be taking these guys and Pittsburgh, uh, Matt might end up taking a, a running back on day two or day three. Yeah. If, if the backfield heading into the heading into the NFL draft is Bell, Toussaint and um, Niall Davis, I would assume that they're going to draft somebody. I don't think the handcuff for Le'Veon Bell is on the roster right now. I would not spend a rookie draft pick on either of them unless you go to five or six rounds and Niall Davis is still sitting there. I wouldn't draft Fitz Toussaint anywhere. Yeah, I, I'm uh, surprised the Steelers, uh, you know, ever drafted them themselves. Uh, you want, let's go to the next email here. This is also from Matt, Matt with one T in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. He writes, what the hell is Green Bay doing at running back? Montgomery, Michael and Jackson, WTF man, WTF. Love the show though. That's Matt in Little Rock, <laughs> Arkansas. You know, this is, you know, near and dear to my heart. The Packers running back situation did not play out how I thought it would have played out as far as this offseason goes. I did not. I mean, if you would have asked me, oh, yeah, by the way, at the end of March, Green Bay is going to have Ty Montgomery, Kristen Michael, and Don Jackson as their three running backs. Oh, and by the way, people are going to be picking them to win the Super Bowl, Um, which, (laughs) I mean, it's crazy to me. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I know that, you know, I read today that the Packers turned down the opportunity just to visit with Adrian Peterson, and I don't know if that was, you know, uh, like a, a posturing because, just the fact that if Adrian Peterson really is asking for $8 million uh, to play football this year, uh, that seems a little crazy to me. And, and maybe Green Bay was just, you know, took the um, standpoint of if that's going to be your asking point, we're not even going to visit with you. We're not going to, you know, talk about you joining this football team until that price goes on. I don't know. But Matt, I mean, Green Bay's running back situation, clearly they're going to be adding somebody to me on day one or day two of the NFL draft. 
Yeah, as somebody who's watching football news all year round, I think people pay a little bit too much attention to football news this time of year. People are freaking out if their team did not address whatever need they think their team needs to address by now. If the Packers, you know, let's say uh, two months from now, the Packers have drafted Joe Mixon, um, you know, whatever you think of his off-field stuff. If they draft him in round three, then from a football standpoint, you got to be feeling pretty good about what they have going on in the backfield. So we'll see at this. I don't think that their backfield is complete right now. At the same time, I think they're one of the few teams that could be just fine if that is what their backfield looks like heading into the season, at least from a fantasy standpoint, because it'll mean more yeah. pass attempts for Aaron Rodgers once again. Yeah, I mean, who would have, who would have thunk that uh, Green Bay would decide to draft and develop uh, for their running back situation? You know, when, when Ted Thompson really does this every single year with every position, you know, except for the rare you know, Peppers, Woodson, Cook, Bennett signing or what have you. Uh, it does happen, but most of the time, this is a draft and develop team. They're going to draft and develop a running back. Uh, and, you know, frankly, they're, they're going to be developing Kristen Michael in this system, and they're going to be dra- uh, developing Ty Montgomery as a running back this year. Uh, don't underrate the, the fact that Montgomery is going to have this full offseason preparation uh, of going to running back meetings, watching running back film, being a running back in, in the system. Uh, this is a position that he picked up, you know, out of necessity halfway through the year and, and did all right at it. So uh, I think big things could be in store for him. I do believe that uh, he is going to be the uh, a major part of a committee in Green Bay this year. Mac in Springfield, Massachusetts. Give me your read on Spencer Ware. Is he going to be a top 15 guy this year or is Casey going to bring in someone else yet? Uh, thank you for the email, Mac. Uh, sounds like Jamal Charles is done. In Kansas City, I don't see him coming back. I do think they add somebody in the draft as well. But is that someone going to be the starter over Spencer Ware? I know that Andy Reid had a lot of great things to say about Spencer Ware, stating that maybe, you know, if you read between the lines, maybe Ware is ready to be a full-time running back this season uh, and that he won't wear down the second half like he did. Uh, But I'll let Matt uh, talk about – I'll let you talk about Spencer Ware. I I think that um, top 15 is not out of the realm of possibility in 2017. Yeah, I wouldn't draft him top 15, but I think he, his ceiling reaches into the top 15. It's a good situation. I would bet right now on him leading the backfield in touches, even if they add somebody. Um, it, I, I would not bet on them adding somebody in the first round or two with the intention of starting that guy over Spencer Ware. Final email we have tonight. This is from Jeff in Chicago, Illinois. Happy NFL draft season, guys. Love that you are back on the strip this year for the main event. Well, so are we. Thank you. I'm getting two teams of the buddy, but we're torn on what to do with Lacey, Rawls, and ProSize. How would you guys be drafting them in the main event? Uh, That is Jeff in Chicago, Illinois. Much like uh, a lot of the discussion that we've already had on the show, we're going to get the benefit of seeing these guys work in training camp, seeing them work in uh, practices, seeing them work in preseason. We're going to see how Seattle views these guys. And I'm always of the standpoint of, you know, you can do all the personal talent evaluation you want. You can, um, you know, talk about how player X is much better than player Y uh, till you're, you know, till you turn blue in the face. It doesn't matter because the only opinions that truly matter is the front office and the head coaches, because they're the ones giving these guys snaps. They're the ones who are in charge of putting them on the football field to succeed. And if they don't agree with you, then they're going to put their guy out there. So that's how you have to look at that. And Matt, we're going to get the benefit of seeing 
how Seattle works in Lacey and Rawls and ProSize uh, this preseason. Uh, but if you're drafting right now, is this a situation to stay away from, or is this a situation where you can really capitalize on some value with one of these three? I would like to see one of them between. I don't want any part of Thomas Rawls, so I would like to see one between Eddie Lacy and CJ Procise going later than they are. They're outside RB two territory from what I've seen so far, but they're very close together within a round of each other, I believe, in ADP. Um, I like Proci- I love Procise as a player. Uh, I, I like Eddie Lacy. I am going to need to see what his injury status is when we get closer to the season, uh, how his conditioning is, as everybody's going to be wondering. So I guess right now I would have to lean Procise straight up just because I think he's more explosive and doesn't is not at least coming off a significant surgery with a conditioning issue. Um, if, uh, you know, once we get closer to the season, though, if Lacey's in condition, if his ankle's holding up, if he starts training camp on time, I think he's the better bet because it's a great situation for um, rushing touchdowns, and he's the best bet for those there. Yeah, I don't know what kind of physical condition C.J. Procise is in right now, but I would bet my next 10 paychecks that he is not pushing 270 pounds like somebody else in this backfield might be. I looked at their ADP, um, Matt, 7-7 for Eddie Lacy, 7-6 for Thomas Rawls, and actually 7-12 for C.J. Procise. So they're all going in the back end of the seventh round right now. Uh, Procise and Lacy would be the two pass catchers out of the two, which is you know something we're always after. Uh, in fantasy football, you know, PPR leagues. Uh, so, I, I, you know, there, there is value to be mined there right now. And uh, I think that uh, it would, if you're drafting multiple FFPC DEs right now, it would probably uh, not be the worst idea in the world to grab a couple of uh, shares of those guys uh, in the late seventh. I'm with you on Rawls. I've never been a Rawls guy, but the other two. Um, and, and Matt, and I'll, and I'll leave you with this too. Three million guaranteed for Eddie Lacy. I mean, you know, some of that's, you know, the five and a half million. Some of that's performance as well. That's to me right now in today's NFL, that's starters money. I mean, Adrian Peterson was still out there. Jamal Charles was still out there. And they agreed to give three million guaranteed to Eddie Lacy. I think they, they picture big things for him in that offense. The offensive line's not great, uh, but they certainly think good things uh, of Lacy. Right, and I did like Rawls before, but when you sign Eddie Lacy, that's saying we don't believe in Thomas Rawls to me. You look at all the other guys that they had in, it's pretty clear to me that they were trying to upgrade on Thomas Rawls. C.J. Proces is a much different athlete than um, the a lot of the guys that they brought in to, to give a look. So I think there's a spot for him, no matter how good or bad Eddie Lacy is, and then Eddie Lacy's health is going to determine how big that role is for CJ Procise this fall. Well, there's always a spot for him. There's always a spot for you on this show, my friend. I appreciate you coming Aww. on, Matt Shelf, DraftSharks.com, DraftSharks award-winning podcaster, DraftSharks writer. A uh, lot of great stuff. Obviously, we always pimp up DraftSharks during the season, not because we have to, because we want to, because it is a great site. It will help you win leagues. Uh, I haven't even mentioned how many times you guys have won the Accuracy Award with the FSTA as well, so that's certainly a feather in your cap uh, as well. Follow DraftSharks on Twitter at DraftSharks. Follow Matt on Twitter at ShelfBS. We will talk to you again real soon, man. It's, it's, you know, it won't be long before we're, we're sitting talking Scott Fishbowl strategy again uh, for this coming summer uh, for, the, for those drafts as well. So it'll, uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be here before we know it. Thank you so much for coming on on short notice tonight, man. I really appreciate it. Always happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. 
Matt Shelf, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him at ShelfDS on Twitter. And that is going to do it for our show tonight. I want to thank, of course, Matt Shelf for coming on the show tonight. Uh, really appreciate uh, him stepping up. And uh, boy, was I learned a lot tonight. I always learn a lot. I learned especially a lot tonight. I want to thank the FFPC. Thank Rob. Thank Bryce. Thank you for hanging out and uh, watching the uh, tournament on mute so you could listen to us. I really appreciate that. No Dave next week. 2016 FFPC 1250 number 13 champ Nick Stacy will be co-hosting with me. Sign up for the FPC in the main event right now. Scott Engel and the HOF Hour is up next. Your weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. I gotta go, cause I got me a drop top, and if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop. Had to stop at a red light, looking in my mirror, not a jacker in sight. I noticed Tupacker is giving me Wisconsin Badgers updates in the uh, chat, and uh, talking about how they were up 10, and it wasn't even close, and now all of a sudden, they're down at the half by two. Once again, thank you, Two Packer.